we're going to look at Ephesians 3, 14 to 21, so that verse at the end, but we're going to be looking at that prayer and a little bit at the Acts passage. So, um, I'm going to read from Ephesians uh, chapter 3 from verse 14, where Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. It's a wonderful passage. And if, if you could ask God for anything, I wonder what you'd ask him for. Yesterday, Richard talked about a passage in the Bible where Jesus says to somebody, what do you want me to do for you? I wonder what you would answer that question. If Jesus would actually say, what do you want me to do for you? I wonder how you would answer that question. And I'm not talking about what you might say to the person sitting next to you because you think, well, I'll say this because it sounds good. But I wonder what your deepest desire is, what you really, really want God to do for you. But actually, I'm not thinking about that at the moment in that sense because I'm thinking, what do you really, really want God to do in this church? What do you see you want to see happen? What do you want God to do here in this church? What is your deepest, deepest desire for this church and your fellow believers here. Paul, in this passage, prays for the Ephesian believers, and of course, therefore, by extension, for us. In chapter 1, Paul has already prayed for these Christians in Ephesus, where he says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. And here, in chapter 3, Paul continues to pray for these believers. And he can pray for them because he knows that God wants to give these Christians so much because he has so much to give. In this passage, he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, God has glorious riches to pour out on us, to lavish on us. He wants to do so much for us. He wants to give us so much. As individuals, yes, but he wants to give us so much as the church. In chapter 1, Paul has already said that God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He's given us everything already, and it seems here, though, that Paul is saying he has even more to give us. 
He's given us everything, but even so, there's still more that he wants to pour out on us, out of his glorious riches. Paul has no doubt that God has unlimited and inexhaustible resources at his disposal. And that out of them, he's not only able, but wanting to give us so much. And he wants to answer Paul's prayer. So in this passage, what does Paul pray for? I think there are four things, although they're very much attached. So the first thing he prays for is for Christ to live in the lives of the believers. He says, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Basically, Paul is praying the same thing here, that Christ would live in us. So he wants the power through, um, he wants that those Christians would be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so God's spirit is within us, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul is praying the same thing, to have Christ dwelling in us and to have his spirit living in our inner being. It's the same thing. And indeed, it is precisely by the spirit that Christ lives in our hearts. Of course, as Christians, God's spirit does live within us. We can grieve him, we can box him in a corner, if you like, but he does live there. So what Paul is really asking for here is that every believer, you and I, should be strengthened or fortified and invigorated, I read. That's what he wants. He wants us to be fortified, invigorated, made alive by God's Spirit and have the Spirit of Christ as we try to live the Christian life. And in fact, we cannot live the Christian life unless God's Spirit lives within us. And of course, later on in Ephesians, Paul speaks specifically about the spiritual warfare that we all go through and the need for that spiritual armour in this battle. And Paul prays there that we might uh, take up the sword of the Spirit and pray in the Spirit. This battle must be fought in God's strength. We must depend on God's word and on prayer. And a constant prayer for ourselves and our fellow believers that we should be filled with the Spirit of Christ, because we cannot stand, we cannot succeed, we will not be victorious in this battle without the Spirit of Christ. Do you pray that for yourselves daily? Do you pray that for this church daily, that we will be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith? Are you praying that? Because unless we do, we will not get anywhere. But Paul gives two reasons here why we need the Spirit of Christ living within us. And this is his second part, or the second and third part of his prayer. Because he says, we need the power to love. This is the purpose for which Paul prays. That we might be filled with the Spirit of Christ. Is that we should love. That as Christians we will be rooted and established in this love. You see, in the new community that has been created, i.e. the church, love is to be absolutely the most important virtue. I think we all know that, but it is so important that we love one another. another. The new community that is being created, and of which this church is a local expression, is God's family. And each of us are brothers and sisters. 
who love their father and love each other. At least we should do. But we need the power of the Spirit's might and of Christ living in us to enable us to love each other. I don't know if you've noticed, but actually some people are not easy to get on with, even our fellow believers. There are some people who we find really easy to get on with. It's easy to love. But if we're really honest, there are some people, even our fellow believers, who perhaps possibly at times rub us up the wrong way. Have you found that? It's, it's like that, isn't it? And there are times when we upset each other. We might offend each other. But we still have to love one another. And we cannot do that without the Spirit's help, without Jesus living within us. There's that famous passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that lovely definition of love. Love is patient Love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonour others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love Love never fails. When I read that, it's a beautiful description of love, but I know that I fall short of it so often. I don't love like that. If we are to love like that, we need the Spirit living within us. We need Jesus living within us. If we are to love each other in that way. And then look at Colossians 3, 12-14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved... Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. You know, when I read words like forgive as the Lord forgave you, And then I think about how I sometimes think about other people and what they've done to me. I think, do I forgive? Do I love them as the Lord loves them? But it's impossible to do that, to live like this without the Spirit living within us. So we need his power within us to love because we will not do it otherwise. And it's so fundamental to the Christian faith that Paul illustrates this with something from the world of nature and also from architecture. But he wants us to have deep roots and firm foundations in this. So the roots, that's the illustration from nature and the firm foundation from architecture. He likens us to a well-rooted tree and then to a well-built house. But in both cases, the unseen cause of stability that we have is the same. It's love. We are rooted and established in love. Love is to be the soil in which our life is rooted. Love is to be the foundation on which our life is built. We can only do that with the help of God's Spirit. And he will help us and give us the power to love where it seems impossible to do so. But not only uh, does um, God's Spirit live within us to give us the power to love, he also lives within us to give us the power 
to know love. We actually need God's help to know that we are loved. And Paul writes here of knowing the love of Christ in all its dimensions, its width, its length, its height and its depth. Just it's so vast. It's so eternal. And the love of Christ is wide enough to reach everybody. Not just our own little group, but everybody. It's wide enough, it reaches the whole of mankind. It's long enough to last for eternity. It's deep enough to reach even the worst person. So no matter what you've done, no matter how you've offended God, the love of Christ encompasses it. And it's high enough to exalt him to heaven. And if we're going to know this love, to know that we are loved, we need the God's Spirit. We cannot know it in any other way. And perhaps there's an echo here of Romans 8, 38 to 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither heights nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is love that, that we cannot quite get to grips with. When I was a teenager, many, many moons ago, my then pastor, who actually then became my father-in-law, preached on John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And uh, he preached three sermons, three separate weeks, simply on the word so, for God so loved the world, giving it three different interpretations. I can remember two of those ways that he preached. I hope you're impressed with that, that I can remember a sermon 40 years on. But one of the ways was God loved the world so much. That word so, so, this, so immensely that he sent Jesus to die for him. And God's love for you, for me, for this church, for us together, is that he left the comforts and joys of heaven and lived among us and then died for us. For people who basically rejected him, wanted nothing to do with him, he came and he died for us. That love is immense. But if we are going to have any understanding, any comprehension of the love of Christ, we need each other to do it. Because he says it's only together with all the saints, all the holy people, together that we can truly understand all the dimensions of God's love. An isolated Christian may know something of the love, but it will be limited by their experience. It needs the whole people of God to understand the whole love of God. Men and women, young and old, black and white, with all our varied backgrounds and experiences. If we are to understand, have any understanding at all, that we are loved, we need each other to begin to understand it. Because we will not get... We need each other. That's why it's good to meet together, it's good to talk together, it's good to tell each other our experiences, our stories. What God has been doing for us this week. Not just how we became a Christian, but what is God, how we've experienced God's love this week. What has he done? How has he shown us that he loves us? We need each other to understand it. But even then, this love surpasses knowledge, he says. To know that surpasses knowledge. In other words, we can get to the end of it. We'll never fully comprehend it. Probably not even in heaven will we fully grasp or understand it all. 
because it's too wide, too long, too deep, too high for to us to get our minds around it, even all together. This love is so huge. Do you realise how much God loves you? Well, of course you don't. He says you can't get there. But have you got any sort of understanding of how much you are loved, how much God loves us, how much God loves this church? Because he does. And this love is so immense, so great, there is no way of fully knowing it. We will spend eternity exploring it and probably never get to the end of it. The fact is, you and I are loved immensely, freely. So we need God's power within us. We need Jesus living within us to love and to know that we are loved but he lives in us the power to do infinitely more. Paul ends this passage by turning from the love of God which is past knowing to the power of God which is even past imagining. From limitless, limitless love to limitless power. I love this verse. You know, we can dream big, but we still can't dream big enough. God is able to do so much more than we can imagine. God's ability to work beyond our prayer, beyond our thoughts, beyond our dreams, is by the power at work within us, within us individually, because uh, Christ dwells in our hearts by faith, and within us as a people of God, who are the dwelling place of God by his Spirit. God wants to do infinitely more than you and I can even begin to imagine. Whatever your deepest desires are for this church, God wants to do more than you can even begin to think of. And in in Ephesians 1, Paul has spoken about this power. He says it's the same power as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. That's what he wants to do and what he can do. And Paul actually uses, makes up a Greek word here because he says God's power within us is able to do superabundantly above what we can even begin to dream about. Superabundantly wasn't even a word. I don't think it's even an English word, is it? Superabundantly. But that is what he wants to do and what he can do. And that's why I had Acts 2 read because I love that passage as well. The whole is great, but they, there's those words at the end which says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Can you just imagine being part of a church where people are being saved every single day? We rejoice, and quite rightly, at one a year. And we should rejoice. Every time someone turns to Christ, we should rejoice. But how much better would it be if on a regular basis people were being saved? On a daily basis, wow, that actually is almost beyond my imagining at the moment to think about that. Now, could you imagine it? Every single day, somebody becoming a Christian. Wouldn't that be magnificent? Wouldn't that be wonderful? William Carey said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. And if we truly believe in the limitless power of God who wants to do infinitely more than we can even think or imagine, then why not? And the amazing thing is is that God does want to do great things among us. And my desire 
is to see this church grow both in numbers and maturity, to see Christians growing in their faith and expecting and attempting great things for God. I want to see people come to faith, finding Jesus to be their saviour, to be their all in all. That's what I really want. And I would love to see it on a daily basis. I'll settle for it on a weekly basis. But I'll go for daily as well. You know, we, in closing, we have spoken of the dimension of the love of God. Perhaps you're here today and you know nothing of this love of God. And I just want to say to you, whoever you are, wherever you've come from, whatever your background, whatever you might have done in the past, God loves you. Immensely. Hugely. Superabundantly. We can use that superabundantly in that context as well. It doesn't matter where you've come from or what you've done, but God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son to die for you. And all you have to do is just respond and say, God, thank you. And I'm sorry for what I've done to offend you, but thank you for loving me. But perhaps for most of us here today, perhaps we, we have experienced this love at some time in our lives and perhaps we're not experiencing it now, but God wants you to really know how much he loves you, to really experience it deep in your heart, deep in your life. And even if you have been away from God for a while, he draws you back with unfailing love, with amazing love, and he lavishes his grace upon you. And I want for all of us just to be overwhelmed and excited by the love of God that fills our hearts, that just washes over us. So much so that we will go, wow, and we will attempt great things for God. We'll expect great things from him. And we'll attempt great things for him. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you love us. Help us to experience it in all its fullness and to come to some comprehension. Lord, we can never get to the end of your love, but thank you that you love us. And I do pray, Lord, for those who don't know yet, but that they would respond to this love and you'll reveal your love to them and that they know it. And Lord, I pray that you will just be touching our lives so that we might experience you and you'll fill our lives in Jesus' name. Amen.